Good morning, good morning, Rabbi Welcome to Breakfast in a Class. Breakfast in a Class, and all the learning for this week in all of the classes is being dedicated by the Torah Center founders, Ruth, Ruthi and Raphael Fuzailov, in honor of our soldiers in the IDF, those who have bravely fallen as well as for the recovery of those injured. Hazaku Baruch to Ruthi and uh, Rafi on uh, sponsoring uh, our Torah Center wall. Bezat Hashem, we should be zochet to see tremendous nachat from the children, the grandchildren. Breakfast in the class is also dedicated for the continued health and refuah shilema of Eliyahu Shimon Mazal Fortuneh and Charabat Simafega. Also dedicated in loving memory, Julie Bat Bahir, sponsored by Rina and Eliyahu Cohen. Also dedicated by Nicola and Michael Liuim, uh, long-time listeners from the Persian community of Great Neck, in loving memory, and Lunishmat, their grandfather, Yitzhak Liuim Ben Shilomo. Breakfast in the class is also dedicated in loving memory of Malkiel Penhasi Alava Shalom, the Lunishmat Malkiel Ben Mordechai Ubatya, sponsored by his son Pini Penhasi. Tenish Matotsu Rabbit Sror Hahaim. Also dedicated in honor of Rabbi Fahri and Eskila as Hakarata Tov for the warm welcome and his amazing shiurim and for the refuah shlema of his wife Chana Bat Simafega by Rafi and Noam Katan. Anytime it's a nice one about me, I'd like to show you that I'm not making it up. Last but not least, the week of COVID responds by David Yash in honor of you and your unwavering commitment to doing good for the state of Israel. And for others around you during these challenging times today and every day. Hazaku Baruch. My friends, let us begin. Vayihi b'shalach Am. When Paro sent the nation out, and God did not choose to guide them and to have them travel along the route of the Pilishtim, of the Philistines. Why? Why did God not do that? Because it was very close. Maybe the people, Hashem said, maybe the people, when they see when they see war, They'll regret having left Egypt, and they will return to Egypt. My friends, there are so many magnificent lessons here in this one pasuk. It could take us uh, a long, long, long time even just to learn the lessons in this one pasuk without moving on from it. But I'd like to focus with you today on some of the elements of this pasuk. The pasuk says as follows. That when God took them, Derech Eretz Pilishtim, He did so. Why? Kikarov Hu. Now, I just want to point out, the Pasuk really is structured backwards. How should we say this? When God took them out, He didn't take them down the route of the Pilishtim. Why? Because He was worried that they would see war and go back to Egypt. But the Pasuk throws in something interesting. It says, and he did not take them the route of the Philistim, Kikarovu, because it was close. The fact that it's close is a reason to go that way. Has anyone ever asked you, look, I'm looking for a long cut. Has anyone ever said those words to you? Are there any long cuts? You know, don't take long cuts in life, right? No one says that because people don't look for long cuts. So what does Kikarovu mean? Now, some opinions render the key of this pasuk not because it was close, but rather even though, even though it was close, God did not take them that route. Why? Because uh, they, they, God was uh, saying maybe they'll see the war and return to Egypt. However, there's another interpretation into Ki Karovu. God didn't take them that way, 
hi karovu. Why? What does it mean? Says Rabbeinu Bahir, something unbelievable. He says it was the closeness, really, of the path which made it undesirable. Not desirable. God wanted them to go a long distance route through the desert, far from the boundaries, the shortest route possible on the way to Israel. And the question is why? And I want to read you the beautiful words of Rabbeinu Bahia. He says, in the name of Rabbeinu Hananel, V'katav Rabbeinu Hananel, they're going into the desert for another reason. Why did they go to the desert at all? In order to be able to do wonders and miracles for them in the desert. If he would have taken them the short route, the way of the Pilishtim, Hakarov, what could God have done? God could have just made the Pilishtim not go to war with them. You're worried about the war, so you're taking them into the desert. Don't do that. Don't have all the miracles of the desert. Just take them the short route and let the Pilishtim decide not to go to war with them. That, my friends, would have been Otkal. It would have been a small sign, a small miracle. Oh my gosh, the Pilishtim, a warring like a warlike people, did not come out to attack us. Small miracle. Maybe they were lazy. Maybe it was a Super Bowl weekend. I don't know. Okay. However, if I take them the route of the uh, desert, God's wisdom decided through the desert to make the miracles required to sustain the nation. Enormous miracles. Miracles like Yeridat Haman, the descending of the man from heaven. And the feeding of the entire Jewish people with the meat of the Slav of these birds. And water coming from either a traveling bear or from the stone that he hit or that he spoke to. Therefore, the further they are from civilization where they could get or buy food, drink, water, shelter, whatever, the further they are, the greater the miracle is that a person who is able to sustain themselves in such a distant, difficult place, and how much more so an entire nation. Now my friends, I want to point out what I think is a very powerful question. So let's review. Let's take a shortcut. See what I did there? Okay. Hashem took the Jews out of Egypt. He did not go this route because it was close. God wanted a distant route. God wanted a difficult route. Why? So that he would have a blackboard upon which to draw his otot umoftim, his great miracles for the Jewish people. You know what I'm thinking? Is there any way, Hashem, that we could just not have the miracles and just go the short route, I think I'd rather that. Imagine, you could eat, look, you could be healthy, but that's easy. You know what, better, much better, much better. I'm gonna make you sick, so sick you're almost gonna die. And the miracle of miracles is gonna save your life. There's gonna be a new drug and an amazing surgery and fantastic things to the situation in the hospital. And the ambulance is gonna be able to, I don't know, drive through red lights. 
And look how many miracles it was for me to save you. You know what? Go save somebody else. I'd rather not be saved. Let me just stay healthy. Let me just be kikarovu. Let me take the close route. What are we doing? What's going on? My friends, I have to say that to me, the answer to this question is really dependent on understanding the answer to a different question. Hashem, you want to show us miracles. Why? Have we not seen enough miracles in Egypt? Now there's a big machloket if there was, you know, 50 miracles in Egypt, right, 50. Or if there was, uh, you know, 40 miracles in Egypt, or if there was 10 miracles in Egypt, however many miracles, those are pretty impressive miracles, right? I'm calling me impressed. It's enough. Why did God feel like he needed to do these extra miracles in the desert? So I want to point something out. We've already discussed numerous times that the point of the miracles in Mitzrayim, which God does not normally do. Have you looked around recently? You turn on your sink, you don't get blood. You get a nice rust color if you're living in, uh, you know, in certain places. But you don't get blood coming out of your sink. You don't have frogs everywhere in your cake, in your mishaarotecha, in your pajamas, in your bed. You don't have it. So all these things, why did God need to break the laws of nature? So we already talked about this multiple times, that the purpose of the miracles was to be able to give Am Yisrael a tremendous sense of emunah, of belief in God. To create this connection with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that Hashem says, if you mess with the Jewish people, you mess with me. You're messing with me. Ani Hashem says, I'm going to be the one you have to deal with. I'm not sending one of my angels. I'm going to come down. So the question is, why do we need more miracles? And I think there's a fundamental understanding over here that we need to wrap our heads around. And that is, what did God do for us in Egypt? No doubt, unbelievable miracles. But God's miracles for us in Mitzrayim were primarily problem-solving miracles. They were getting rid of our problems. So yeah, the Egyptians are hurting you like this, they're hurting you like this, they're hurting you like this. I'm going to remove all those ways that the Egyptians are hurting you. What happens in the desert? The nature of the miracles is not only in saving Am Yisrael from bad things, but also in giving them good things. If you want to have Emunah and Hashem, it's not enough that Hashem is a problem solver, is a magen and a shield for negative things not to harm you, but rather HaKadosh Baruch Hu needs to also, above and on top of that, also give wonderful, wonderful good things as well. Therefore, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, that's what Rabbeinu Hanana and Rabbeinu Bahia are telling us, I believe, that Hashem said, it's not enough. And I want to share that there is a deep, and powerful lesson in this for every one of us. From the laws of kibud avaim, says the Chinuch, from the mitzvah of honoring your father and your mother, we learn the mitzvah of honoring Hashem. That's what, end of the pasuk says, right? but the end, right? It says, I am Hashem. The fear, the awe, the kavod you have for your parents becomes the kavod and the awe that you have for Hashem. But my friends, it also works the other way around. 
We learn lessons for emunah, for trust, for love, from the way HaKadosh Baruch Hu takes care of us, to the way that we take care of and we love others as well. If God takes care of you, as a father takes care of his children, so too must a father take care of his natural human children, his biological children. We need to learn from the way that God takes care of us, also to take care of our kids. Now listen carefully. This is unbelievable. There are many people whose care and concern for their children, for their wives, for the people that they love in their, li in their lives, is of a problem-solving nature. They remove impediments. I hear this all the time. My father, if anything ever was wrong, my father was the one that took care of it. That means that their relationship with their father was basically like the relationship you have with an exterminator. You see a mouse, you see a cockroach, you call, not Ghostbusters, you call the exterminator. I, as well as most men in this world, will have at one point in the life received a phone call to come home to deal with a bug. <laughs> or a lizard, okay? Or a mouse. Right? Everyone's received that phone call. If the relationship that you've built is one of removing negative things, that is not the essence of love, that is the essence of protection. And I'm choosing my words here very carefully. They may feel that you are a protector, but they do not feel love per se in that protection. They feel protected. So you're fulfilling the same role as a security guard, as an exterminator. It's incredibly important to spend time trying to think of ways to be able to give net positive things, not to remove net negatives, but to give net positive things. Through that you create and you build real trust. Through that you create and you build real love. Our Chachamim tell us that love is created when you give to somebody. But for many people, the nature of their giving is in the fact and in the way that they take things away. I'm, again, I'm being very careful in my language here. You solve a problem. You did a huge favor, by the way. No question. It may have cost you a lot of money and a lot of effort. But at the end of the day, what did you do? You took away. Is this clear? You took something away. I don't mean that you took something that they want. Let me explain what I mean by, by, by virtue of a halakha. On Shabbat, there's a difference if a non-Jewish person is to turn on a life, a light, or off a light. I'm not going to get into all the minutiae of the halakha, but as a scenario, if someone turned on a light for you on Shabbat, a non-Jewish person turned on a light for you on Shabbat, you're not allowed to get hana'ah benefit from that light. So whatever you could have done in that room prior to that light going on, if you could have, there was a little bit of light, and they turned on the overhead lights, but you could have read by the little light, so you basically could have read anyway. But if you couldn't read before, and now the light's on, and now I can read, that's a benefit that I'm taking on Shabbat. A person is not supposed to benefit from that which the non-Jewish person did for him on Shabbat. Is that clear? How about if I'm in my bedroom, the light is on. Now, along comes a non-Jewish person, turns the light off. Before, I could not sleep in this room. 
because light was on. Am I allowed to sleep in this room or do I got to go sleep on the couch? <laughs> sleep on the couch, you said, yes? Incorrect, sorry? I said sleep in the room. Sleep in the room, correct. Give that man a cookie. Why? Why? What's the difference? In both cases, there's a hanah, there's a benefit from the fact that the person did something for you. In both cases, there's something that I could do now that I could not do before. So why is one allowed and one not allowed? And the Chachavim give a very beautiful distinction. The result of what he did for you when the lights are on is present. It's here. There's light in this room. The result of what the person did for you when they turned off the light is a lack of something. There is now nothing in this room. So it's true, I am enjoying the fact the light's off, but I am enjoying nothing. That's the difference between being a protector and being a giver. Love comes when a person gives something, not when you take something away. Even if the thing that you took away was causing pain, was difficult, because when you've taken it away, net, what's left for me to be able, why is that? In one case, you take pain away from me. In one case, you gave me something that's giving me pleasure. What's the difference? The difference is, my friends, that love is what love sees. Love is what love notices. It's very hard to notice nothing. It's very hard to notice the lack of something. If you have a very annoying noise in your house and someone comes and turns it off, that first minute of quiet, you're like, oh. Beautiful. Two minutes later, you forgot it. You know why? Because it's nothing. Imagine I hired a concert pianist to come to your house and he's playing beautiful music. In both cases, you're enjoying. You're sitting there with your ears, eyes closed. Ah. But with the concert pianist, every day, there's music. There's something positive I'm looking at, noticing, and appreciating. For love to exist in the long term, it needs to be positive, net positive uh, uh, result. So therefore, God says, I'm going to take you out of Egypt. All the things I did for you before, unbelievable miracles. You know without a shadow of a doubt that I am God, 100%. You know what? And how much that's going to matter? Nothing. Because the minute I've taken you out of that problem, that problem is not part of your life. There's nothing for you to focus on in terms of what you've received. So what does God do? He takes them out and he gives them the man. How often do they notice the man? Every single day. He gives them the be'er. How often do they notice the miracle of the be'er, the water? Every single day. You understand the difference between those things? The ananea kavod. Every single day. It's a present gift. What are you giving your families on a constant in a basis? Now, a lot of guys think, what do you want from my life, Rabbi? I'm working so hard to provide all these things. It's true. But are they noticing those things? If they're not noticing those things, you have two solutions in your life. One, figure out how to make them notice the positive things that you've given. That's very hard. To make someone else notice something, to make someone else grateful, especially if you're the source of that gratitude, then you just come off looking like an arrogant person who all the time needs to be praised. And that's not what they get out of the situation. And the other solution is to figure out small things. The other day, I got something in the mail. I, was, I couldn't believe it. 
someone sent me pictures of their wedding. And at, the, at their wedding, I put the person on my shoulders, and I was dancing with this person on my shoulders, the, the chatan. It wasn't a random guy that I put on my shoulders, it was the chatan. Anyway, dancing with the chatan on my shoulders, and this, they got this great shot of the chatan on my shoulders, big smile on my face, all the energy, you know, at the wedding of dancing. And included in this little bag, they sent a gift. And you know what the gift was? The gift was a small gun massager. What a genius gift. What a beautiful way of showing appreciation. You put someone on your shoulders, you probably, your shoulders are probably killing. You should be zochet to pick up all the hatani, and then, but you know, and also, you know, zochet to... What an unbelievable, thoughtful, presence of mind type of gift. Now, ask yourself, how do I give a gift like that to people in my life? It doesn't matter how much money it is. I can promise you that. My wife loves Linzer tarts. So when I go to a bar mitzvah, I make sure, I go to a brit milah, that I'm bringing home Linzer tart. Why? Because what does it tell her? I remember reading an amazing story. I think it was with Rav Palm. I might be mistaken. He always used to bring home from a brit milah the cookie that his wife liked. And if they didn't have a cookie that his wife liked, he brought home the cookie that his wife didn't like. And he would say to her, honey, look, I brought you home the cookie. They didn't have the one that you liked. I brought you one. I know that you don't like this one. But I just wanted to know, you to know that even though we weren't together at the Simcha, while I was there, I was thinking of you. How amazing. How amazing is that? Now you think to yourself of a big gadol in Torah, you don't think that he's going to pull off these little aw romantic gestures. You don't think, you know, Casanova when you're thinking gadol ador, gadol anova. You don't know what thinks that way. Right? But my friends, a person's first and foremost obligation for love and attention is to whom? It's to his family. And out of your children and your wife, who do you have more of an obligation to? Out of your children and your husband. Your children or your husband? Your husband. Your wife. So my friends, one of the things we're learning from over here is Hashem says, I can't let them go into Eretz Israel until we have built a relationship that will last forever. And it's true. I did a lot of things that I took away from them. I took a lot of pain, a lot of suffering away. And that's incredibly valuable. And they've seen the miracles and they know I'm Hashem. But you know what? Until I've given them consistently something that they could see in their hand, that they could say, Baruch Atah Hashem, we've not built the relationship that we need, that we need to build. My friends, let me just end with the words of the Hazon Ish brought in the, uh, by the Sefer Oil Moshe. He says, and I'm just going to end with this, he says, how could it be how could it be that Rabbeinu Bahia and Rabbeinu Hanan are telling us that the reason why God did this is kikarovu, because God wants to show them all these miracles and God wants to build this relationship. And in order to show that, you need to give something, something in the hand, something present. My friends, if the pasuk says that the reason is something else, the pasuk says that the reason is, so they shouldn't see war and go back. How could the rabbi come and tell us now that the reason is so that he could give them a present which is present? How, how, how could he say that? Says the Chazonish, unbelievable. He says, both of those things are actually the same thing. 
You see, had God built with them, had they had that level of emunah and connection with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, then when they saw war, they would not have been afraid. When the Pilishtim would have come out to them, they would not have been afraid. The very fact that someone coming out against them could cause them fear meant that there was more work to do. My friends, I think that's something we should all learn. If our relationships are good, when they're good, then they ain't good. If our relationships are good, when things are not good, then the relationship is good. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, if a war would cause them to run back to Egypt, then even though if things are good, they're with me, that's not the nature of what trust and love looks like. I need to build something that will survive wars, that Hashem will say to us, like He says, at the end of the desert, you're going to go into war, and you know what? You won't be afraid. Don't worry. Be strong, be courageous. You know why? He's the one that's going to go in front of you. And for the Jews to believe that, there was a process that they needed to go through. May Hashem bless us to have that emunah in Hashem. May Hashem bless us to generate that emunah in our children, in us, and generate that emunah in our children, in Borei Olam as well. Baruch Amen. Amen.